Luke chapter 19, verse 11 to 27. The parable of the ten miners. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a, noble, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 miners. Put this, to, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first ones came and said, sir, your miner had earned 10 more. Well done. My good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. <clears throat> I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. You wicked servant. You knew, <clears throat> did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has 10 miners. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be a king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have a plan to grow your kingdom on this earth. We thank you that it is your intention to, to grow and to prosper um, your work. And I pray this morning that as we look at this well-known parable, that you would help each one of us afresh to be excited and um, positive about our role in growing your kingdom on this earth. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. There are lots of different ways to wait for something. So um, Christmas is uh, a month away uh, today, exactly, I believe. I don't mean to panic you about Christmas shopping and so on, but um, uh, one month ago to Christmas. And for those of us who have young children around the house, 
Uh, you'll know that it's that time of year when excitement starts to build about what might happen on Christmas Day, the, the thought of presents. And waiting for Christmas for a young person can be a season of excitement, of, of kind of tension, of, of, of longing for the big day to come. Uh, that is one way to wait for something, restless anticipation. There's another way of waiting for something. Um, imagine that dream holiday. Mm lying on the warm beach, soaking up the rays. And you're three days through a seven-day holiday, and you suddenly realize half the holiday is gone already. And and you want to slow down time. You don't want to rush to the end. And so you wait for the end of the holiday by trying to slow down time to savor every second of that sunshine. That is another way to wait for something, by trying to slow time down, to live in the present. I guess the opposite of a child waiting for Christmas. That is another way of waiting for something. Uh, Here's another way of waiting. Uh, This is a picture of our puppy. Um, She is waiting for my wife to return home from work. Uh, You can't really see very clearly, but she's fast asleep. Uh, That is another way of waiting for something. She is waiting for my wife to return. And our puppy waits by sleeping most of the day. There are lots of ways to wait for something. And the issue of waiting is an issue which dominates our parable this morning. And more specifically, how we are waiting. And we see this straight away from from verse 11 of our reading. While they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Over the last few chapters, Jesus has been on a, on a journey towards Jerusalem and he's getting very close to Jerusalem by this stage in Luke's gospel. And Excitement was building amongst the crowds. They were starting to talk to each other. Is this the time now when God is going to restore his kingdom? Is, is Jesus going to go to Jerusalem and declare himself king? And in so declaring, was he going to throw off the Roman rule and proclaim the golden age for God's people? You can imagine the sense of buzz amongst the crowds, the sense of anticipation at long last that longed-for moment was going to arrive. Jesus was going to proclaim himself king. Days, maybe, maybe hours to go until that moment. And because of this attitude of anticipation, Jesus tells this parable. And the basic point is, is simple, I think. Jesus says, there is going to be a delay There is going to be a delay before the kingdom of God appears in all of its glory and splendor. This trip to Jerusalem, this first trip, is not the final trip. And so verse 12. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. This parable about a noble man is a parable about Jesus. He, he is that man. And straight away, verse 12, he says, 
Um, I have a journey to go on to a distant country before I return. There is going to be a delay before this nobleman, before Jesus returns in true power, in true splendor. But one day he will return. There is going to be first a delay. This parable is here to show us how to live in that delay. Jesus is about to go on a journey to the cross, then to heaven, but then to return. How should we wait for his return? That's the big question for each one of us this morning from this parable. How should we be waiting in the delay for the king to return? That's our big question this morning. How should we be waiting? And this morning I want to look at three different ways that we could be waiting as we look at three different groups in this parable. And then I want to spend some time at the end thinking about some application for us this morning. So three different examples of how we could be waiting. The first example is um, the rebellious subjects. And we find these described in verse 14 of our reading. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. The first way of waiting during this delay is to be rebellious subjects, to say to the king, we don't want you to be king. We don't like the thought of you being in charge of us. I suspect the initial thought here was um, the Jews around Jesus who were about to betray him into the hands of the Romans who didn't want Jesus to be king. That They were mocking him for claiming to be king. But surely this mindset of rebellion lives on today. Not just the, the Jews in Jesus' day, but an attitude which dominates our society. Not an attitude that we see depicted in, in spears and uh, violence maybe in this country, but rejection, exclusion, the move to dethrone Jesus and to put ourselves on the throne, um, to live as if there was no king and that we are not accountable to anyone. That is one way to wait for Christ's return, to be like those rebellious subjects. And it's worth noting that the problem here for these subjects um, was not a philosophical issue about whether the king existed or not. Uh, it wasn't a conceptual problem, of who was this king? It wasn't a problem with the evidence about whether he had the right to be king. No, the issue that these subjects had with the king was a matter of the will. Verse 14, we do not want this man to be our king. And this is so often the case, is it not? That for people who push Jesus away, who do not want him to be in charge of their lives, so often it is not an issue of, of an intellectual challenge or an issue of apologetics or, or science or whatever it is. So often the core issue is an issue of the will. I just don't want Jesus to be my king. That is one way to wait for the king, the rebellious subjects. Uh, next, we turn to the servants. And before this nobleman leaves, um, verse 13, 
uh, he uh, gets his servants together, and uh, we read, uh, he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. So we have a group of, of 10 servants, each given the same task, uh, each given one miner, and asked to put that money to work whilst the, the nobleman, the, the master, is away. And so this brings us to our second group. Uh, we see uh, reliable servants. Uh, we see two servants who are faithful and reliable at fulfilling the master's request. Uh, the first servant is there in verse 16. Uh, after the master came back, the first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Now this is really a good effort on behalf of the first servant. Remember, there are no stock markets in this day and age. You couldn't go to your investor and say, well, here's, here's a miner. Go away and uh, make it produce 10 more, and I'll come back in a little while and see how you got on. Now, in order to, to grow the investment, this servant would have had to go away and um, maybe start his, his own business, maybe um, buy some boats and start a fishing company, maybe hire some extra, extra hands to help him, uh, manage people, run things, be responsible. This would have taken uh, creativity, initiative, toil, time, energy. Uh, this wasn't just a quick slap of the fingers and nine extra miners appear. This is a good effort to convert one into ten we have the second servant, uh, verse 18. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. Not quite as good as the first servant. Um, both had the same starting point, but the first one managed ten. The second one manages five. So not quite as good as the first, but still an excellent effort to multiply by five. And the master's response is, um, not as glowing for the second servant. He, for the first servant, he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been uh, trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of, of ten, serv- 10 cities. A, a glowing comment. But for the, for the second servant, he, there's no um, well done. There's just five cities. There, there is a difference there in reward. Um, I don't have time to go into the, the whole issue there of, of Christians and reward. Um, I think to say simply this morning that um, what we do matters to God. He notices what we do, and he cares about how faithful and reliable we are. There is a difference um, in how the first and second servants are welcomed. I think both are thrilled with their welcome. The, the, the second one isn't going to be complaining. But I think the point is that God does notice and he does care how we work. That is the second way of waiting, uh, the reliable servants. Uh, just quickly moving on to the third group, the, or the final person, and I've called this person the reluctant slave. I guess reluctant isn't quite the right word here, but I've got my R's going and I thought I've got to stick with the R's, so I've gone for reluctant. I guess you could call him the, the lazy slave or the um, apathetic slave. But we meet him again in verse 20. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you do not put in and reap what you do not sow. 
in other words, he, he's done nothing with the minor. It stayed exactly the same as when he was first given it. Now, I think some of us may feel a bit sorry for this um, reluctant servant. Um, it's not a nice thing to work for a harsh master, to, to work in a context of fear where you're afraid that a mistake may lead to serious consequences. It's not nice to be in that position, and I guess some of us have experienced that maybe at work. And so we feel for this reluctant servant, not wanting to make a mistake. But actually, as we look more closely at his answer, we see that there's more going on here. Uh, at verse 22, as the master responds, he says, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? In other words, if, if this reluctant servant really was motivated by fear, if they were paralyzed, paralyzed by fear, that, that should have driven them to at least um, put it on the, in the bank to get some sort of return, a modest return, but some return. The fact that the servant did nothing shows that it wasn't fear which was operating, but something else. The king calls him wicked. In fact, I think we see a servant here who didn't actually know the king at all. Uh, he calls uh, the, the master um, a hard man. In fact, the, the master is a man who's been very generous, giving um, 10 minors to 10 servants, quick to delegate his kingdom to others, quick to share, quick to, to bring on board and to grow. No, the master is not a hard man. The master is a generous, fair man. And this final reluctant servant does not know the master truly. There is some debate about um, who this uh, reluctant servant is and what happens to them in the end. Um, we're told in uh, verse uh, 24 that he will lose his minor and it will be given to others. Uh, commentators... Uh, debate and discuss who this person is and what happens. I think for what it's worth that we, we, we see here a, a person, kind of like the person we read about in 1 Corinthians 3, um, who, who survives on that day of judgment, but only as one um, escaping the flames. That, uh, that the way he's run uh, his or her life is seen to be a, a foolish way. Uh, they themselves are saved, but their investment, their, their approach to life is shown to be flawed and empty. So maybe a Christian who um, has been unproductive, reluctant, and dare I say it, lazy in their Christian service. How should we be waiting for Christ to, re to return? The message of this parable is actually an incredibly straightforward one. There is only one right way to wait, to wait for Christ to return, and that is to be reliable servants. Uh, those rebellious subjects from the, earlier on, well, verse 27, when, they, when the king returns, he says, but those enemies of mine who did, did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. There will be a day of reckoning for all those who continue to rebel against the king. The reluctant servant lost his, his or her minor. Again, not a wise way to wait for the king. No, no the, the only wise way to be waiting is to be reliable servants, 
servants who take what the master has given us and who seek to multiply it and to grow it and to be productive. That is the, the basic point of this parable. There's going to be a delay. We are all waiting. We should wait like those reliable servants. Now, commentators love to, to discuss what these miners represent. Um, I won't go into all the different nuances of the discussion. I think that the general consensus is that they represent, well, for the, for the early readers, they represented roughly a three months' salary. So a significant amount of money, but not an overwhelming amount of money. Um, yeah, kind of a modest amount of money. A chance to, to start a business, maybe. I think for us today, a miner uh, represents not, not money, probably, so much, although it might do. But I think first and foremost represents the gospel, uh, the deposit God has given us to grow his kingdom. He's left it with us, and he wants us to be diligent with it, to multiply the gospel in our lives, in the lives of others. Uh, it also includes, I think, our gifts, our, our personalities, our appetites, our joys, our interests, our skills. Uh, God has given each one of us the equivalent of a minor, and he looks to each one of us to be diligent and faithful with it, to, to use it for the particular purpose of growing his kingdom. Not just for um, any purpose, but for that particular purpose of growing his kingdom. God is looking in this wait for reliable servants who use what he has given them to grow his kingdom. Well, it's one thing to understand the point it is much harder to actually live out a life of reliability and faithfulness. And I want to just finish by spending a few moments now thinking about some of the ways this parable spurs us on to be reliable servants. Just a couple of closing thoughts. Now, first of all, we need to understand our times. In other words, we live in a world that is trying to pull off the biggest coup in history. We live in a world that's trying to dethrone King Jesus from the throne. We live in a world that's trying to push him away, to live life as if he, he doesn't exist, uh, the spirit of those rebellious subjects. And we need to understand that we live in a, in a climate where the prevailing voice in our ear is a voice which says, there isn't a king over your life. Uh, don't, don't worry about him. Don't live as if uh, he's going to come back. We are bombarded by an unprecedented number of voices in our ear. We have the internet, social media, blog websites, uh, newspapers, TV, radio, telling us this narrative, this story. There is no king. Don't live for him. I heard last week that over half the, the post that the Royal Mail delivers is junk mail. And most of that is, um, contains adverts. And um, just looking at the, um, the mail I've received through my post box in the last two weeks, I have received um, an advert for um, better, faster broadband, for uh, better uh, selection of TV channels, for um, better clothes, better food, better double glazing, uh, a better kitchen, um, better holidays, even, and I found this rather offensive, a better garden. Uh, despite all my hard work in the front lawn. <laughs> Nothing wrong with these adverts in and of themselves. 
But do you see behind them lies a worldview, a mindset, that it's all about making our lives now as comfortable as possible. Go on, buy the better broadband. You need the extra four megs of speed per second because then your life will be better. Invest, the world says, in the here and now. That's what matters. It is a subtle but dangerous voice, which I I fear many Christians fall for. But this parable reminds us, we must understand our times. We live in a world trying to reject the king, but we must be reliable servants who invest in his kingdom and not the way the world invests, trying to pad out our nests for the here and now. I think if we don't understand the voice in our ear, we will just listen to it. Uh, That is the first thought from this parable. Understand our times. Uh, Second, we must not confuse delay with cancellation. That's a a second observation. Uh, Some months ago, I was um, doing some DIY, and I I ordered some some bits from a local DIY shop, and I was told to wait for the delivery. It would come a Friday morning between 9 and 1. You're given one of those windows to wait for. And I, I waited patiently at home, uh, waiting for this delivery to arrive. Um, I waited and waited, and uh, 9 became 10, became 11, became 12. Nothing arrived. And the longer I waited, the harder it became to imagine the delivery ever coming. My heart began to sink. This just isn't going to happen, is it? And sure enough, it didn't. One o'clock came, nothing happened. I, I, I rang up the company, and they went, oh, yeah, We meant to tell you, actually, that that item is not in stock anymore, and we were never going to come anyways. You know, it was never going to happen in the first place. And it's deeply frustrating, isn't it, when you realize that delay is, in fact, cancellation. But I suspect many of us are tempted to think that we've had to wait so long for Christ to return that it starts to feel like cancellation and not delay. In fact, we can't even imagine a scenario when he would come back. We've waited so long. And so subtly, we start to think, it's just not going to happen, is it? Oh, we wouldn't say that publicly. We wouldn't vocalize it that way. But deep down inside, we're tempted to think, it's cancellation, isn't it? Not delay. But that is not the case. Christ will return. And finally, a final motivation. Uh, we must remember the master's reward. Verse 17, he said, Well done, my good servant. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. I don't want us to get too wound up in the nature of Christian reward this morning. It, it is a, a debated area. I don't want anyone to go home worried about it. I think the point here is, the, as I said before, the master cares about how we live. And I, think, I want to end on a positive note. That actually, the master notices everything we do that we do in his service. This servant had turned three months' salary into 30 months' salary, one minor, 10 minors, which was a good return. But a 30 months' salary is still a small sum compared to 10 cities that the master gives him. The master's response is fantastically generous to this servant. It is far outweighing what he deserved. And there is a sense of fantastic generosity that awaits those who are faithful in small things 
in this life. The master notices every stuttering and halting conversation we have with a new person at church as we try to reach out to them. He notices every phone call we make to a friend who we know is struggling. He notices every awkward and difficult conversation we have with a work colleague trying to explain uh, our Christian faith. He notices every time we mop the floor to help serve his kingdom. The master notices And there will be a day when he gives to each one of his faithful, reliable servants an outrageous reward for the work we've done, a reward that's not in keeping with how much we've done. And so there is a wonderful spur here, not to become disheartened in the delay, but in fact rejoice that every act we manage to do in his strength is an act he notices and an act that will one day be noticed publicly. It is worth serving the Lord. It is worth saying no to the voice of the world which says live for the here and now. It is worth being busy for the master because one day he will return. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given to each one of us the chance to be partners with you in kingdom growth, multiplying your property on this earth. And Father, we thank you for that responsibility. Thank you that we can all play our part. Father, I pray that you'd give us a fresh desire to be faithful, reliable servants, multiplying what you've given us. Help us to long for that day when we meet the master and uh, we uh, help us to live for his his response to our work in Jesus name amen